Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. 1 Corinthians 15. This is uh, Paul's most descriptive explanation of why the resurrection of Jesus matters and how this resurrection power uh, is unleashed and applied in our lives. I'm going to read, it's a long uh, chapter, but I'm going to take a little bit from the beginning and from the middle and from the end, and then we'll, um, we'll speak from that. Beginning in verse three, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by the apostles, Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. And if Christ has not been raised, this is skipping down to verse 17, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who've died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who've died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Let's feel to read that again. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all of his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Skipping down to verse 56. For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. We'll talk about unleashing resurrection power. Father, we are so desperate in our need for you to speak. Lord, we want to hear your voice where we thank you that you're here. We thank you that you have been speaking to us. You've been ministering. You've been revealing yourself. God, I thank you that we can encounter you so powerfully through your word. And I ask Holy Spirit that you would reveal to us in each of our hearts, the power of the resurrection. Lord, would you, would you bring a new faith, a new belief in the resurrection? Lord, do what only you can do. Lord, take this this understanding of the revelation from our head 
to our hearts. In fact, just lay hands on your heart right now. Just say, Jesus, I need revelation knowledge. I don't want to just mentally assent to this truth. I want to know it in my spirit. May I hear your voice that says I am risen. May I know it, the deepest part of me, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I um, became a uh, follower of Jesus in university, as I've spoken about many times. I was, uh, I think I was, what, 21 years old, third year at uni. And I grew up in a home where my mom was very diligent in praying with me and teaching me the word of God. Um, but I think at best, I only ever mentally assented to the truth of it. But it wasn't until my third year of uni and God just started breaking me down. I I've told this story before about how my grandmother came to town. My granny, we called her. And she never would go into my closet ever, but she goes into my closet and found my weed plants growing in the closet. And, and she, she, uh, she went and told my mom, which was not great. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking, growing weed in my closet, living at my mom's house. But um, my praying granny had this revelation of how dark things had gotten in her grandson's life. And the intercession began to escalate. And I started having dreams at night. I can viv vividly remember this dream of being in a car and, and basically like driving into this tornado and all like I was with some family and we all kind of turned together and started praying. And I was as far from God and as far from praying as you could, could get. And I woke up and I, my heart was racing. And it was like right as we drove into this tornado, I woke up and I, I just, I, I knew God was speaking to me. He said, I'm calling you to serve me. You need to lay down your life and serve me. I knew enough about the truth. It was like all these seeds that were sown were coming back to the forefront and God himself was speaking to me and revealing himself to me. So I had this powerful spiritual awakening alone in my bedroom one Sunday morning. When, when the word of God has been sown in your heart by people around you, and I had my, my, my mate, uh, who my friend who sat next to me in accounting class and he would always talk about his, uh, his relationship with God. And when, when these seeds have been sown and you got people around you, you don't even have to be in a church service, man. The Holy Spirit can just show up and you just, you're awakened to the truth of the gospel. And God had, was just breaking me down and brought me to this place. I was at this party the night before and I was so overwhelmed with concern of what all my friends thought about me. Have you ever just felt this, this so insecure, you just felt gross? Like what is, what is going on? Why do I feel so insecure? Why, why do I care what all of these, what all my friends think about me? And God spoke to me so clearly. It was this revelation. He, it was like he said, uh, you're spending your time trying to please all your friends. You don't have to do anything to get me to like you. I just love you. All you got to do is submit to me so you can receive my love. And then I had this thought of not only his love, but his severity and the reality that I was going to stand before him and, and this realization, wait a minute, I'm not going to give an account to any of my, my friends about my life, but I will give an account to God. And it was like this, I was gripped with this, this combination like this, at the same time, the kindness and love of God and the severity and the, the fear of the Lord and his holiness. And it just broke me. And I just, I, 
I don't even remember what I said or prayed, but I was changed in that moment. I was born again. Something shifted in me. Went to work the next day, halfway through my shift at work. And I was like, man, I haven't been swearing today. What's happening? Something's different. I've changed. I'm different. And um, anyway, I won't go into more stories, but we don't have time. But after my spiritual awakening, my commitment to follow Jesus, uh, about a month later, it was the Christmas holidays break. And I, I'd been catching up with some of my friends, telling them what God had been doing in my life. And I caught up with one of my non-Christian friends. Her name was Janice. And uh, she was an intellectual. She scored like the highest, like super high on her university interest exam, entrance exam. She went to Duke University and Ivy League school, very intelligent. And I'm talking to her about my new faith in Jesus. And she, she kind of pipes up and she says, you know, I, I think the, the truth of the Bible really hinges on the resurrection. She, she said, if the, if the resurrection really happened, then I think you can trust the whole Bible. But if the resurrection didn't happen, then none of it's true. I was, I was thinking, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know anything. Listen to what I'm trying to tell you. Give your heart to Jesus. And then I went away and I read, uh, uh, you know, after thinking, man, that's stupid. I went away and read 1 Corinthians 15. And I was like, wow, Janice is actually right. It all comes back to the resurrection. It all hinges on the resurrection. There are many historical facts about Jesus that are indisputable. He was born in a town called Bethlehem. He grew up in a city, uh, a town called Nazareth. Uh, he learned a, a, a carpentry trade uh, from his, uh, his father, Joseph. When he turned 30, he began drawing big crowds of people who saw him as uh, the Messiah, the, the, the chosen one, the one that, was, uh, that, that, that the Jewish people had been waiting on. These are indisputable facts. Even the Jewish historian Josephus refers to the Jesus who was executed on a cross under the governorship of Pontius Pilate. Indisputable, historical fact. Jesus was born, he lived, and he died. There was one more indisputable fact that the, the tomb where Jesus was buried, dead, was suddenly empty and there was no body that could be found. Empty tomb. Now, Matthew shed some light on what happened there in that moment. And he says that there were two Roman guards that were guarding this tomb uh, where Jesus had been buried. And this angel comes down, rolls away the tomb, and tells the women who were there that Jesus isn't here. He's risen. Have a look for yourself. He's not here. But these two Roman guards, they were overcome by fear at this revelation of this angel, and they, they, they fell down like they were dead. They fainted as if dead. Now, they woke up, and they remembered all that happened, and the angel's gone, everybody's gone. They run to the Jewish leaders and explain to them what had happened. And the Jewish leaders, fearing the loss of their power and their privilege in that moment, they began, they created a, Matthew says, a cover-up story. And he told them, he, he, they told them, they said, okay, we'll, they bribed them. We'll give you this money uh, if you will say 
that you fell asleep and then his disciples came and stole the body. And so they agreed to do that, I think not because of the money, but because of the fact that w once the higher ups found out that Jesus body had been stolen, they were done. They were going to be dead. Uh, so they took the money and it says uh, in Matthew 28, they took the money and did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. But Jesus, we, we see from other uh, gospel writers and in the book of Acts was around for 40 days post-resurrection before he ascends to heaven in a resurrection body, even eating food, hanging out with the disciples, with his followers and teaching them about the kingdom of God. Paul says in the passage we just read that there were over 500 eyewitness accounts to Jesus' resurrection. Now, if you were to call each one of them into a court of law to testify for 15 minutes each as, as witnesses of what they'd seen, it would be five straight days of testimony, some like 129 hours of eyewitness testimony. You'd be, you'd be after two days like, okay, I believe in the resurrection. You know, like I'm, I've heard enough. I don't need to hear anymore. And most of them were still alive at the time that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15. He was essentially saying, go, go and ask, ask them, go and see for yourself. If there are people alive today who say that I saw Jesus alive after I saw him dead. The New Testament was written at a time when it would have been very easy to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. There would have been people still alive who would, have, who would know that these things were not true if, in fact, they were not true. But what we see is actually the complete opposite of that. We see this community of people who are living this life so extremely sold out for Jesus that there can be no other explanation, but that he had risen. There's an entire book of the Bible, the book of Acts, that's devoted to these stories of how the early followers of Jesus were proclaiming over and over and over and over again that Jesus rose from the dead. We've seen him alive. We've touched him. We've eaten with him. He has taught us. He's risen. They even pray to him as God. Speak to him as someone, about him as someone who is alive, even now at the right hand of God. What's remarkable is that they actually continue to do this amidst extreme persecution. They were beaten. They were imprisoned. They were killed for saying that Jesus had risen. The Roman emperor Nero would light Christians on fire. This was in the 60s AD. And he would dip them in tar and light them on fire uh, to light his parties at his palace out in the backyard. Persecuted severely. And while some people will die for something that they think is true, people will never consistently suffer and die for something that they know to be false. And if anybody was going to know that the, that, that the resurrection was false, it would have been the disciples. If, the, if Jesus didn't rise, the disciples would have known it. If Jesus did rise from the dead, the disciples would have known it. And so their lives are testimonies 
of the power of the resurrection. That it doesn't matter what comes against me. I, how can I do anything but give myself fully to this person, Jesus, who I know is not only my savior, but my risen Lord. Change lives all around us, testify of the power of the resurrection. Dolan and Julie have talked about their story and how they were on the brink. It was nearly over for them, nearly done. It would have been easy to completely give up hope. Dolan comes along to, what did, what did you say? There, there's only one person that could get me back in church, and that's Corey Turner. He comes to town. We had our launch event. I think that was the first time you came. You were at our, our, our official launch in April of 2021. And Dolan radically encounters Jesus, begins to be discipled. He opens up his life. He's confessing his sin publicly. He's deeply repentant. He's, he's going on a journey with his wife, of, uh, with Julie, of healing. He's growing, he's getting stronger, things falling off of his life. People around him beginning to be uh, impacted by the gospel, lives being touched. And then yesterday, we, we baptized Jamie, two days ago. The power of the resurrection, 2,000 years later, lives and generations being transformed. Come on. I know for myself, I would be dead or in jail under a generational curse that was on my grandfather, my great-grandfather who died in his 60s, my grandfather died in his 50s, my father went to prison, died in his 40s, and where, where do you think the next generation, the generational wave, the curse was going? But man, I got set free. Jesus set me free from every demonic Freemason curse that my grandparents had given themselves to, every, every spirit of lust and perversion of previous generations set free to the point, I mean, resurrection power to get a wife like this. Come on, how is that even possible? I mean, I'm, I'm sitting around, passing the joint around with my friends, and she's at home praying to God for her husband. Please don't give me, please, Give me a husband that's in church now. Please give me a husband that doesn't have a tattoo. Please give me. Man, if that's resurrection power right there. I could go around and tell stories that I'd love to tell that I don't have permission to tell. But man, there's many of us could stand up and talk about how our lives have been transformed forever by Jesus. Generations being transformed. Man, I look at my kids and I think, what a head start they have. Man, how great that, you know, my ceiling becomes their floor and, and, you know, they don't have to deal with all the junk that I had to get set free from. And to be honest, I still feel like I'm holding back some of these curses that keep trying to, like, come back on me. It's like the enemy keeps bringing up things from the past. It's like, no, 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 no. Resurrection power is at work in my life. I'm going to keep resisting you, devil, because I'm setting up the next generation for something greater than me. This is how the kingdom of God grows and expands. Man, the generation 
uh, from one generation to the next, the kingdom of God growing. And yet as a, as a church, you know, the church we've retreated from culture, we've taken a back seat. Oh, this is why that word's so important for you. We're, we're not to be a people that sit back and just wait for Jesus to come rescue us from a world that's going to hell. No, Jesus has called us to extend his kingdom, to occupy. That is our, that, that, I mean, come on, do we really believe in the power of the resurrection? Is the, is the re- resurrection powerful enough to change enough people's lives that culture begins to shift and transform? I believe it is. So 2,000 years later, people still being set free from addiction, healed from disease, people being born again. How about, let's just remember Toe from a couple years ago. Toe was the first person we baptized or uh, one of the first people who, who actually came to Christ in one of our services. It was uh, right after our official launch. It was Good Friday, 2021, when we baptized him. It was uh, a couple months before that. He had been diagnosed with stage four cancer. We prayed, we believed, he died. But we were praying, we were believing. But you know what? He, for 40 years, his wife had been praying for him, our precious Gwen, who's now at Numa in Melbourne, praying for him, believing. And then in this moment of desperation, man, nothing will bring the realization of, of you're about to stand before your creator than being confronted with stage four cancer and the doctor saying it's over for you. You don't have long to go. Broken, humbled, repentant. It's right here in this back section, right here in this back of the, in, in this back row, responding to the gospel. People gathering around him, laying hands on him. A commitment to Jesus. He began reading his Bible every day. I'd go sit with him and we'd talk about what he's learning, reading. Man, just in time. Just in time to spend eternity with God in heaven. That's resurrection power. I want to take a couple minutes. I used up all my preaching time on the introduction, so I don't know how I'm going to get into my points, but I'll go quick. A few things we need to understand a little bit deeper about the resurrection. The resurrection is the Father's endorsement of the Son's perfection. We can begin to see the perfection of the Son. Something begins to shift in our lives. When the father raised Jesus from the dead, he was saying this man did not deserve to die. He was perfect. He was spotless. He was holy. He wasn't just a man. Oh, he was a man, but he was more than a man. He was God in the flesh. This is why we sing death could not hold him because he was too perfect to stay dead. There was, death had no right to keep him because death can only light on sin. It's sin that gives birth to death. And while he absorbed the wrath of God for us, I've been thinking about this word propitiation lately. You can dazzle your friends at parties with that word, propitiation. Propitiation. It's not a word we use but in our culture, but it's a word that means to appease the wrath of God. Jesus in his substitutionary sacrifice appeased God's wrath. He received it all. He absorbed 
the wrath of God on our behalf. And so when we see the perfection of Jesus, it also opens our eyes to who we are apart from him. When we see his perfection, we see our imperfection. That's what humbles us. That's what begins to break us down and bring us to a place of needing him. We see it in Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah chapter six. He has this revelation of the holiness of God and he sees these angels crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And what was his response? Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. He had this revelation of his his sinfulness, his brokenness. What about Peter confronted with the, the, the power of God in this miracle? Jesus fills their boat with fish. Peter says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. You can't help but be deeply affected by the beauty, the perfection of Jesus. I'm thinking about his best friend, John, his disciple, who would lay his head around the table on Jesus' chest. Imagine being so close to Jesus, you feel confident. You just go sit down next to him and just lay your head there down on him. In Revelation, he... The picture we get of John before Jesus is falling down like a dead man because he's had this revelation, this picture, this understanding of the majesty and the beauty and the perfection of the risen Lord. I remember being at Revival Conference not long ago and last year. And if, by the way, you haven't got your ticket yet to Revival Conference, I know the flights are expensive, but it's going to be worth it. Promise you. One of the most significant encounters I've ever had with God in my life, I was uh, just his presence, his manifest presence, very tangible, and, and this sense of God's calling. And I said, started praying this prayer, God, I need you to take me higher. And he said, son, I need you to go lower. You want to go higher? You need to go lower. And so I literally did. I got down on my knees and, and on my face, and the glory of God, the presence of God came so powerfully I, I felt like I couldn't get low enough. I wanted to just melt into the floor. I, it was almost, I, could, I couldn't even, it was hard to even be in that moment. And man, you come out of an environment like that and you're confronted with the holiness of God. Can I just say, it's a good and healthy thing to fear the Lord. We all need to grow in the fear of God. Man, he is the risen Lord. He's the king. How can we value the sacrifice of Jesus if we don't first understand the bad news that I have sinned against a holy God? And in my sin, I am deserving to be apart from him forever. And whatever wrath and anger is poured out upon those who reject him is righteous. It's a righteous judgment. And somehow, I don't understand, somehow we will in eternity give praise and thanks to God for his mercy in light of those who didn't receive it. We, we need to grow in this understanding that we are loved and we are accepted in the Father through Jesus. You take Jesus out of the equation, there is no access 
to his love. The love of the Father we have access to through Jesus. When we, when the Father looks at us, he sees the righteousness, the perfection, the beauty of Jesus. And so if we're still questioning whether we've sinned against the Holy God, then we probably haven't seen him. We probably haven't had an encounter with the, the risen Christ. The resurrection proves that everything Jesus said can be trusted. It's like my friend Janice said, and Paul said, it all hinges on the resurrection. Jesus can be fully trusted because he rose from the dead. Do you know that this was one of his most significant promises? He said over and over again to his disciples, about halfway through his ministry, all the way to the cross, he kept telling them, I'm, the son of man's going to suffer. He's going to die. It's me. I'm going to die. And then on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. He even called the third day. He even knew when he was going to rise on the third day. Everything rises and falls on our ability to trust. If he kept that promise of his resurrection and he came through and he was risen, then we can trust every other promise. There's so much that rides on trust. A good marriage is built on trust, business relationships on trust. Kids' relationships with parents, all hinges on trust. And trust hinges on a person's integrity. Can we, can we really believe that what Jesus is saying to me is true? Well, if he rose from the dead, then yes, you can. And he has risen from the dead. If you had the power and the integrity to keep that promise, then all of God's word can be trusted. Every promise in the book will be kept. And something begins to shift in our lives when we begin to have this certainty that every one of God's promises is not just true for somebody out there, but it's for me. You know, it's one thing to acknowledge that God said to Jeremiah, you know, I know the plans I have for you, the plans to prosper you and not to harm you, give you a hope in the future. But we ought to hear that and believe that for ourselves. Has Jesus said to me, I know the plans I have for you. I got great plans for you. Do you know, only when we know for certain that God has a better future for us than we could ever dream for ourselves, are we able to just say, okay, here you go. I trust you. Give you my life, fully yours. Every promise. Can you, can you trust him with those things that you care most deeply about? Can you trust him with the question of who you're going to marry? Can you trust him with the power to stay married to the one you're married to? Can you trust, can you trust him when you're stepping out of the comfort zone in your business or when you're, when you're sitting in the sauna at the gym and this opportunity opens up to share the gospel? I've been sharing Jesus with, with my new friend, Brandon. One of the cool things about the sauna at the gym is got a captive audience. They're not going anywhere. You know, everybody's busy in the gym working out, but then you get in the sauna and I keep running into Brandon in the sauna. He's just hanging out. And the first day I walk in there, I, I, I had, I had uh, one of my, my uh, requests for Christmas was a waterproof Bible. So I could take my Bible into the sauna. So I got Liv to give me a waterproof Bible for Christmas. It's camouflage. It's actually a new Testament. I don't know why it's camouflage. Um, I guess if you want to take it hunting, uh, it probably came from America. 
But um, I take this waterproof Bible in with me and I'm reading. I'm by myself and I was kind of enjoying it myself. I'm speaking in tongues in the sauna. I'm praying the Psalms, giving thanks to God for, you know, Psalm 80 something, I think it was. And God, thank you that you hear my prayers. How amazing that I can actually talk to you. And then in comes this guy, first time I met him. And he's like, oh, I never thought about bringing a book into the sauna. I was like, well, you're going to have to get a waterproof one. It's like, what? Waterproof. See, yeah, it's a waterproof Bible. And then he says, um, oh, well, share with me something enlightening that you've read. Hmm. Twist the arm. Okay, okay. And so I started telling him about how amazing it is that God isn't just a force and a power in the universe, but he is a being, the one whom we can talk to, whom we can relate to, not just a power we can try to manipulate like all the other gods out there, but he is a person whom we can trust. We can hear him speak and trust him. We've had many conversations since then. Uh, maybe I'll share some more another time, but um, if Jesus rose from the dead, then we can relate to God in a relational way. When he said, pray like this, Father. Can we really trust that God is Father? That there can be that depth of intimacy and connection with him. Better keep moving. The resurrection finally demands that we go all in following Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead and he's seated at the right hand of God in heaven. There is only one response that we could possibly give him. When we see who he is, if he's truly risen, how could we not do anything but go all in following him? It's amazing how the resurrection of Jesus had the power to take these scattered people who were once following him and then bring them back together, no longer fearful, but faithful and devoted followers of Jesus. How could you not be willing to die for something like that? How could you hold back any part of your life? And I, I remember my early days of following Jesus. I was confronted with his lordship and the expectation that I go all in from the very beginning, the very beginning. He started pointing things out in my life. That can't be a part of your life anymore if you're going to serve me. This can't be a part. You need to get rid of all this stuff that, that you've been worshiping in your life previously. You can't serve that and serve me. It's only me, just me. There's no room for anything else in your life but me because I'm risen. I'm worthy of everything. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again 
conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.